Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And I wanted to return today to a topic that I've focused on before, uh, India at the start of the Second World War, and the effect that the declaration of war had on Indian politics, principally between three actors, the Viceroy, uh, the Congress Party uh, of uh, Jawaharlal Nehru uh, and Gandhi, uh, and the Muslim League of uh, Muhammad Ali Jinnah. Previously, uh, we'd seen how uh, Lord Linlithgow, the Viceroy, had declared war unilaterally on India's behalf in September 1939. Um, India as a, not yet a dominion of the British Empire, but a sufficiently large colony with a sufficiently uh, advanced and quite rebellious political class um, was a country that it was was very difficult to make these sorts of unilateral declarations. Obviously other dominions like Canada and Australia and New Zealand were able to decide for themselves whether they wished to join the Second World War, though it was almost inconceivable that they wouldn't join on Britain's side. India was a different proposition altogether. Uh, The declaration of war was greeted by outrage from the Congress Party. The Congress Party was uh, secular. It was a party that represented or hoped to represent all of India, uh, Muslim, Hindu, Jain, Sikh and uh, other, um, other groups. Uh, and also a party which, with Gandhi's influence, um, and also Nehru's, uh, tried to represent uh, the poor of India um, to varying degrees of, of success. Gandhi with a kind of a rather rural Tolstoyan um, idea of self-sufficiency at uh, a, a very small uh, local level, um, and Nehru 
um, a far more uh, statist socialist uh, leader who in the, the, the 1950s would become very much more sympathetic to the Soviet Union and was uh, devastated, immensely uh, disappointed uh, by war which follows with China. By October 1939, the Congress Party was waiting eagerly for an official statement from Linlithgow, one which would hopefully give clear war aims and limits as to how and where Indian soldiers would be deployed, and also an indication of the payoff at the end of the war. Uh, Congress uh, believed that the only possible inducement to Indians to fight would be full independence. Obviously, Linlithgow wasn't going to offer that. Um, on the 17th of October, he gives a very generalised uh, set of uh, blandishments. This had not been promised before. This says everything and nothing, really. And the um, response from the Congress is harsh. Congress asked for bread, said Gandhi, and it has got stone. Nehru referred to it as a complete repudiation of all that India stands for nationally and internationally. It has absolutely no relation to reality. Um, this was what uh, Lithgow had said. Um, and the threat from the uh, Congress was to uh, resign unilaterally uh, and to refuse to give any support to, to Great Britain. This is the, the Congress party. This, the British knew, uh, would be a diplomatic um, defeat for them. It would look very bad with America um, and other neutral countries, and it would look very bad across the rest of the empire, and it would also hand uh, a free goal to Britain's enemies. And, the, uh, and it would also... Um, bolster uh, the the idea that the British Empire was fraying at the seams and was extremely weak, which uh, wasn't wide of the mark. Um, so the uh, plan that the British um, suggested um, was to allow onto the Executive Council, the Viceroy's Executive Council, more um, Indian Congress politicians. And the three key portfolios that were going to be offered initially were finance, home affairs and defence, so the, the most significant ones. Chamberlain thought this was no bad idea. Neville Chamberlain was, of course, um, the Prime Minister of Great Britain. And he thought that if Indians were going to be dragged into a war which they had not bargained for or asked for, the least that Britain could offer them was some kind of uh, say in the, the running of their own country. Uh, Churchill, in characteristic style, was uh, opposed to the defence portfolio uh, being handed over to, um, the, uh, to, in, uh, to Indian politicians, and he also opposed any kind of concession, believing that it would only encourage and be dangerous um, because it would encourage Congress to demand more. The compromise position that Churchill eventually comes to is that if Britain retains control over military and strategy, if Britain um, is able to prevent any change to the Constitution for the duration of the war, and if Britain is able 
um, to uh, ensure that the Viceroy's supremacy is not challenged, then, sure, allow some um, Indian politicians into the uh, into uh, the cabinet, the, the executive committee. The view that Churchill has of India has long been uh, kind of with a real stain on his his reputation, one of one of several, and this reaches its kind of apogee in uh, nineteen forty three with the the Bengal famine and the, the kind of openly racist statements he makes uh, about Bengalis and Indians in general. And his decisions about the allocation of foodstuffs, which have catastrophic consequences for Bengal. Even though the cabinet eventually agreed to these concessions and they authorised the Viceroy to start making the necessary negotiations with the uh, uh, Congress, they didn't bank on Jinnah's Muslim League and the objections that the Muslim League would have to uh, bringing the uh, essentially Congress politicians. I don't think there was any indication that uh, any Muslim uh, politicians would be invited on to the executive committee. Um, the uh, Muslim League would have significant objections to Congress politicians participating. And it was here that uh, the outbreak of war began to spark a deeper uh, political conflicts which is already kind of on the boil in India and started to bring these to, to crisis point. The question of whether or not all of India would get behind uh, Britain's war was uh, a moot one and it was a moot one because India with the prospect of independence or some kind of dominion status uh, in the future was divided as to what that would look like and therefore the possibilities that war presented were not lost on either side, uh, Congress or Muslim League and therefore um, the decision to take um, India to war were to be based on specific um, criteria and requirements. What would India and uh, what would um, subsections of Indian society get out of this war? These were the questions that were being asked. And Jinnah looked warily at the Congress party and thought, well, this is really, in his eyes, a Hindu party. Arguably it wasn't, but um, in his eyes, this is, this is a Hindu party uh, taking us to war um, and... Jinnah himself wasn't necessarily opposed to war. Jinnah knew that um, the British in many ways were more favourable to the Muslim League uh, and looked upon the Muslim League as being um, far more useful than the Congress. The British government had wrapped themselves up in a degree of unwarranted optimism about India. Um, the belief that Indian peasants would somehow benefit from the industrial activity of the war, that Indians would um, declare themselves loyal to the crown, uh, that Indians would um, look upon events in Europe uh, with the same degree of intensity and interest uh, that the British did. All of these things were pretty thin uh, aspirations. 
um, though the, the British clung to them, the, the British um, war cabinet at any rate. The British cabinet uh, considered a proposal that India be given independence immediately after the war. And here is where the, the real kind of conflict with the, the Muslim League uh, emerges. So if India was to be given independence after the war, um, a kind of an unconditional promise by the British, then it would be the nature of that independence that would come under scrutiny from both sides. If it was independence on um, the Congress party's terms, then Jinnah feared that Muslims in India would either become a, um, an, a second-class citizenry or there would indeed be immense violence towards them. And so um, separatism um, it becomes a much more key issue uh, at this point. The British eventually veto any idea um, about offering India independence. Not because the British government didn't think it was probably on the cards, but because they thought that um, any hard and fast statement was going to produce conflict. And so endless kind of fudge, if you will, was uh, going to be uh, the official policy throughout the war years. Of course, the Muslim League would automatically have vetoed uh, any, or opposed anyway, not vetoed, but opposed any uh, initiative to simply hand India a carte blanche independence. Lord Linlithgow essentially says that any uh, constitutional development has to uh, be based on an agreement between Congress and whichever body speaks for India's Muslims, uh, of which the Muslim League clearly was able to, to claim that title. And therefore, it gave the Muslim League an effective veto on any kind of constitutional change during the war. The uh, Congress uh, suggested or proposed a constituent assembly that would be elected uh, after independence that would feature um, all uh, Indians or representatives of all Indians irrespective of um, religion and the version of this suggested by Gandhi is in fact um, even more radical. He said that there should be uh, an adulterated adult franchise for men and women. He said, illiteracy does not worry me. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And he said that this would uh, allow uh, the Haryans, the untouchables, uh, to be um, in, involved in politics and to have the franchise. Um, and this would in itself uh, bring about some kind of social revolution in uh, post-independence India. In November 1939, the Congress Working Committee said that the um, proposed assembly would be elected on adult suffrage. Um, this would mean that minorities, uh, religious minorities, would be represented by members elected by separate electorates, and their rights in constitutions in the constitution would be protected to their satisfaction. Any details that could not be settled by negotiations would be submitted to arbitration. So there would be some kind of supreme court uh, that would um, look at things on a case by case basis. Gandhi, uh, Jinnah and Nehru met and Gandhi and Nehru attempted to offer Jinnah um, assurances um, that the Muslim League um, would have uh, representation um, and there would be protection for the rights and interests of um, Muslims in India uh, when the the British left. And there was uh, the possibility that some kind of understanding might be reached. Um, There were definite hopes between um, the British government uh, and the Viceroy Lynn Lithgow that some kind of uh, compromise was possible. And this would um, have quickly presented uh, a united uh, war government in India. Jinnah was uh, suspicious, however. He saw any settlement in which Muslims were referred to as a minority, as something that wasn't worth the paper it was written on, and that there would be um, all sorts of backtracking and loopholes that would mean that their interests would not be protected. And he referred to the assembly that was being planned as a packed body manoeuvred and managed by the Congress caucus, and said that Gandhi had not been taking the issue of um, Muslim-Hindu affairs seriously and needed to apply himself to it with greater um, rigour. And by December, the uh, Muslim League had declared that the Congress government had ceased to function and couldn't function without them. Uh, Lithgow, at the end of the year, uh, said that the uh, political quarrels he'd seen it had entered into a, a new phase. He said um, it was remarkable how peaceful the country was uh, on reflection. Um, and he wrote to the government, In spite of the political crisis, India has not wavered in denunciation of the enemy in Europe and has not failed to render all help needed in the prosecution of the war. The men required as recruits for the army are forthcoming. Assistance in money from princes um, and others 
continues to be offered. A great extension of India's effort in the field of supply is proceeding apace. And in January 1940, Lynn Lithgow went as far as offering dominion status to India as soon as was practically possible um, after the war. Um, the, uh, he spoke to um, an audience in Bombay um, stating that um, the political situation in India, which was always a problem as far as he was concerned, um, was um, one of minorities. There were no easy solutions and the claims of minorities, uh, especially he referred to the Muslims and the depressed classes, um, had to be safeguarded. So he understood well enough um, what the hurdles were necessary to overcome. The only problem was that as far as Jinnah was concerned, there was virtually nothing that could safeguard the interests of Muslims. Lynn Lithgow had an ulterior motive in the speech, however. In the winter of 1939 to 1940, the Soviet Union had invaded Finland and had fought uh, the Winter War uh, and been rather badly mauled by the Finns in the process. However, during this period of time, the Soviet Union, which had a non-aggression pact with Hitler, um, one which, as far as the British and the French were concerned, could blossom into a full alliance at some point in the near future, um, the Soviet Union was a potential enemy and it was being considered by the British whether the Soviet Union might in fact be um, a, uh, a good uh, prospect for attack, um, possibly in Finland and also uh, possibly in uh, the Caucasus. And uh, this would have huge implications for India, the, the renewal of uh, anglo Russian tensions that had existed in the uh, period in the region from Persia to Afghanistan in the late nineteenth century would be uh, it renewed uh, with uh, a vengeance with uh, instead of fighting the Tsars Russia fighting stunned Soviet Union. On reflection, it's probably uh, for the best as far as the British are concerned and the French that they didn't decide to take on the Soviets in this way, given their almost inexhaustible manpower that finally defeats the Third Reich. However, by uh, giving dominion status and a generally rather breezy and optimistic view of India and the war, two gathered uh, Indian and British dignitaries in Bombay in January 1940. Lord Linlithgow was um, able to um, offer significant concessions to the Indian ruling class uh, on the, in, with the possibility that they might be in uh, a war far closer to India's borders than they had ever bargained for. The British uh, had uh, imagined that probably a Soviet land invasion of Afghanistan wouldn't happen. But as with all powers in the 1930s, the obsession with uh, bombing had uh, not escaped uh, their uh, attention and the possibility that the Soviets might bomb Indian cities um, was uh, present in the minds 
of uh, the Chiefs of the Imperial General Staff. And at that point, uh, a terrible and paradoxical situation might exist for Britain, India, with a general shortage of manpower in 1939-1940, might call upon the mother country to divert troops from uh, Europe to defend India. So British calculations um, about India and the Second World War were based on an understanding of imperial overstretch and the um, multiplicity of threats that surrounded the British Empire. Previously in the 19th century, one had to consider France and Russia, but almost never at the same time. There is a brief and sort of fairly aberrant period of the 1890s up until... Uh, 1918, where the the key problem that Britain faces is Germany, but by the 1930s, a uh, fascist Italy, fascist Germany, fascist Japan and the Soviet Union present um, between them an existential threat to the continuance of the British Empire. There were voices within Britain's war cabinet suggesting that uh, dominion status should be fast-tracked for India. Um, Lilithgow isn't quite as enthusiastic, despite what he says in, in, in his speeches, um, stressing that, yes, this is probably the best policy to take, but one should go very slowly in India. And um, in his typical kind of colonial, um, slightly sort of patronising um, standpoint, he believed that the uh, Indian uh, Congress Party was not yet strong enough. He said the sh- their shoulders are not yet broad enough to uh, take upon the the, burn- the the burden of government. And the experience um, of the last few months um, has suggested that India's um, contribution to the war hadn't really changed very much. So, as, it, as he said previously, that troops were, men were enlisting and money was being raised so we didn't have to worry that much about India. The um, only such a problem, of course, for Linlithgow, was that if India did come under attack, um, then it would present uh, an immense political crisis and more would have to be offered very quickly in order to keep India fighting um, and to uh, keep India fighting particularly not just for itself but for uh, the British Empire. Churchill was with Linlithgow and said basically um, that uh, when Congress resigned it was a bluff and it didn't work and the Indian population uh, simply stood by uh, the Viceroy's government um, and this is all kind of part of Churchill's worldview anyway. Um, he said, India enjoyed a period of perfect tranquility. Um, and he, su- he suggested that um, tr- don't waste your time trying to promote uh, unity between Hindus and Muslims. And he said, such unity was in fact almost out of the realm of practical politics. Well, if it were to be brought about, the immediate result would be that the united communities would join in showing us the door, um, which probably would be the case. And um, he said, most for interestingly for our purposes, that... The Hindu-Muslim problem was a bulwark of British rule in India. So uh, the British have often been accused of divide and rule, and Churchill here 
pretty much confirms that that is indeed how things work. Okay, well, I hope you've enjoyed this and found this useful, and I'll be looking more at um, India and the Second World War soon. Um, and if you can support us on Patreon, there is some uh, original journalism um, and history writing that I'm sticking up there uh, at the moment. Uh, do check it out. It's all good stuff. And I'll put the link at the end of the podcast um, in the link a bit. All the best. I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Bye-bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.